Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we try to cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. Ron DeSantis is trying to get some distance from Donald Trump ahead of a potential presidential run in 2024. He's decided that he's going to be the anti-vax candidate. It's definitely a shift from his statement that they were life-saving a year ago. Will MAGA buy it? We'll also have the latest on the Brazilian elections and the violent protests that have rocked Brazilia as outgoing President Jair Bolsonaro's supporters attempt to pare o rubo, or stop the steal. Why is Steve Bannon thrilled about this? And we will talk about the New York Young Republican Club Gala, which had a who's who of international pro-Kremlin right-wing extremists in attendance, including the Austrian Freedom Party, which was started by former Nazi SS officers. Why are the leading members of the so-called America First movement making common cause with European fascists in Manhattan like it's 1939 again? If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe to the newsletter at didnothingwrongpod.com. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please give us a five-star rating. We have a great show for you today, folks, so buckle up and let's get right to it. In Florida, Ron DeSantis has made some news recently. The state's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic could at one point be called nuanced, but it wasn't clearly ineffective. He gained a lot of support on the right for taking a stand against nationwide lockdowns, and his positions are now being used to differentiate himself from Donald Trump's decision to belatedly and only occasionally recommend following CDC guidelines on lockdowns and masks. DeSantis has received some fair and some unfair criticism for his anti-lockdown approach, which was similar to Sweden's anti-lockdown strategy. In hindsight, these choices weren't the apocalyptic doomsaying some imagined they might be, but now DeSantis is going further. He's embracing junk science and anti-vaccine positions. Was this always the plan, or is this the sort of cynical strategy one needs to win the GOP presidential nomination these days? I don't think it was always the plan. Honestly, looking back, DeSantis got plenty of things right and plenty of the fear mongering just wasn't all that honest. And maybe people had good intentions. They were they really thought that Florida was going to go sideways and, and people were going to die. And I think a lot of the concern initially came from a good place. But the statistics, the the deaths in Florida were not this terribly high number that that outranked every other state and it wasn't this obvious failure that some at a certain point seemed to want it to be which is unfortunate to think of it that way but i think some people just decided this was going to be a way to harm him politically right they embraced people like rebecca jones who were putting out numbers or, or claiming that deaths were being suppressed and the numbers being put out were, were not real and not honest and it was actually worse than anyone knew and and the media picked up on this because they didn't like DeSantis and it got tense, it got it got pretty heated there for a while. And plenty of what eventually bore out kind of justified DeSantis going his own way. Uh but now He's going a lot further, isn't he? He's he's this is something else. Right. He's he's talking now about calling a grand jury to probe potential 
misleading statements made by vaccine manufacturers. And this is a huge departure for him from where he was about a year ago when he was saying, and here's a quote from DeSantis, so here's, I think, the most important thing with the data. If you are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, the chance of you getting seriously ill or dying from COVID is effectively zero. If you look at the people who are being admitted to hospitals, over 95% of them are either not fully vaccinated or not vaccinated at all. These vaccines are saving lives. They are reducing mortality. So you look at what happened in Florida and how the number of deaths didn't necessarily spike in the same way that it did in some other places. Obviously, he wasn't a big, huge mask guy, but he definitely was pushing the vaccine. In fact, he made sure that his donors got the vaccine kind of head of the line. So a year ago, the guy was fine with vaccines. And the death rates in Florida didn't go where some of the death rates in the rest of the world and the rest of the country went. And now he's talking about impaneling a grand jury to find out what was wrong with the vaccines. That seems a little bit inconsistent at best somehow. Yeah. And the Florida Surgeon General has put out some data about the vaccines and and risk to young men, especially with, with heart disease or having heart attacks. And it's been pretty, pretty roundly criticized for just being junk science. And I briefly looked at it. it I know it's hard these days to take kind of anything at, at face value. And plenty of people are going to say, oh, it's junk science. Well, who says it's junk science? But it very much looks political. And then you have him going on Twitter and going, giving interviews. And it's just, it sounds really manufactured and really, we're dealing with vaccines and a pandemic and saving lives. And he sounds like a politician. And should the Mm -hmm. Surgeon General be out there putting these numbers of dubious quality, sounding like a politician, going on all these panels? This is cooking the science to support somebody's re-election campaign. And, you know, I hate to agree with Roger Stone on anything, but he's quoted in this article here saying, prior to this, his position was identical to Trump's, and he advocated the efficiency and safety of vaccines. That's his record, said Roger Stone, a longtime advisor to Trump and an outspoken critic of DeSantis. And again, I agree with Roger Stone once a millennium. And apparently this was it. Because... It really seems like you're biting the hand that feeds you to a certain extent. If you want to talk about how your record saved lives and it saved Floridians and you did it right, well, vaccines were a huge part of your strategy, pal. Yeah, like you said a year ago, it could be argued that he was making common sense decisions. And you could agree, disagree. I mean, the mass stuff really didn't seem helpful, but... There was a point when his arguments and his stances were, like you said, it's it was like Sweden, and and Sweden never did the lockdowns, and and Florida sort of had to embrace. There were nationwide lockdowns for a short period of time, and and DeSantis said we're not doing it again. Well, Sweden Sweden didn't have lockdowns, and I was reading a piece about this, and it was essentially saying that they did get hit hard with the first wave, but overall, their numbers were comparable to the rest of Europe and in some cases even 
there were even less deaths. They're not one of the higher deaths nations in Europe. But they did point out that it really hit the elderly hard, and, mm-hmm. and that was something that they just couldn't account for. They also mentioned that in general in Sweden, the population trusts the government. They didn't have lockdowns, but they had suggestions about how many people could meet and where they could meet. And there were there were general guidelines and recommendations that they seem to think were followed or mostly followed, taken seriously and all that. And the U.S. just doesn't seem to operate that way. We've got about half the country that doesn't trust anything the government says or does. So it's kind of impossible to make direct parallels here. But one thing they did mention in Sweden is that they kept kids in school and that helped kids um, not get left behind, as has happened here in the U.S. and other countries that did lockdowns. And that that's important. So, like, if you're DeSantis and you want to say, I went a different way and here's why it's better, I at least understand those arguments because, yeah, I don't I don't want my kids, you don't want your kids to, to fall behind in school. And that is absolutely a thing that happened, and it's absolutely a thing that got dismissed. Mm-hmm. But, again... They're they're going further, and it is it is becoming political because they are they're using this to paint DeSantis as the better option to Trump. It's I see the DeSantis defenders and supporters on Twitter posting all these pictures of Trump and Fauci together, and just trying to make that that connection about oh well Trump said this and said this, but really he just got out of the way and let Fauci control everything. You see DeSantis attacking Fauci, and that's a pretty common GOP position right now. We just had Elon Musk tweet that his pronouns are prosecute and Fauci because he's a Republican, and that's a apparently a political stance that Republicans have now chosen to make. They are using this as a way to differentiate DeSantis from Trump. But in order to to accomplish that, they're really leaning all the way in and they're just embracing anti-vaccine positions that are indefensible, that are are wrong and going to get people killed because... According to their own data, they're wrong. According to their own... Statements. Statements and experiences, they're wrong. But this just strikes me as just blatant pandering. And when you look at the idea that, you know, now the Florida Republicans are talking about doing another special session here, they're talking about further restriction on abortion rights, they're talking about further restrictions on same-sex marriage here, because they got, you know, such a huge majority in the election, they're going to push it as far as they can. It really, you know, DeSantis kind of has a choice to make when it comes down to how much are you going to want to take responsibility for this in a general election campaign? This might play with the base, but this is definitely going to make you out to look like an extremist when it comes to a national campaign. It's just kind of crazy that this is where we're at because I guess the way they think the way forward here is to essentially be more extreme than Trump. And I think they're going to claim it's about freedom and embracing conservative values and all these things, but you're embracing junk science and anti-vaxxers and you're really just, you're making it political by becoming more extreme than Donald Trump. And and mm-hmm. you think that that is a winning strategy and maybe it is, maybe this is what really helps him with the base. Maybe this is what really connects him to 
Trump supporters that are kind of wavering on on 2024 and they're not sure if they're willing to go all in with Trump again. But man, if this is what it takes, if this is where you have to go to get those people's attention, it just not only does it say bad things about DeSantis, but the state of the party itself, right? Yeah, this is where you're at. And you look at how it went nationally and you realize that this isn't something Americans want. This isn't something voters want. And they turned out in their numbers in the midterms this year to tell you that. They turned out and put, you know, abortion protections on the books in many states and they voted down anti-abortion laws in other states. States like Kansas ended up voting very blue this time around. And a lot of it was as a result of the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe versus Wade. So if this is what they think is going to win them a general election, well, that's that's a bold plan, Cotton. Right. I mean, what it looks like is in order to win the primary, you have to espouse beliefs and positions that will lose you the general. And and right. we, we saw that in the midterms. So many of the GOP candidates had to out-Trump each other in order to get the most votes, get his endorsement. But then, yeah, you can't really walk it back. If you're, no. if you're um, Joe Kent running this campaign of pro-Proud Boys and January 6th trutherism and all these just I know he went hard on on anti-abortion stuff, and he never really backed away from that. But mm. you can't, so no. you just you just stick with it and you keep going. And I do at least understand the logic of thinking they can outflank Trump Trump on this because Trump's record on COVID is was a disaster. He was yeah yeah. It was again governing by tweet, but it was a real actual emergency. I think we both agreed at the time during the pandemic, if he had just gotten out of the way, he would have been reelected and probably pretty mm-hmm. easily. It was, yeah. it was there on a, on a plate for him. He just had to follow the advice and be reassuring. And honestly, if he'd kept shit posting, get the hell well, off Twitter, right? Get the right. hell off Twitter, or at least get the hell off this subject on Twitter. Right. Even if, even if he'd stayed on Twitter and just, not talked about COVID, just, okay, I'm not, I'm going to let the officials and Fauci, CDC, whoever it is, I'm going to let them handle it. I'm going to tweet crazy conspiracies, dog whistle, QAnon, saving the children and all that stuff. Honestly, like it's insane, but it probably would have worked if he just left it alone, but he couldn't help himself because he can't, it's, he cannot control this. He just, he listened to the CDC and then he stopped listening to the CDC. Then he tried to influence the CDC so he could get them to go along with the things that his advisors were telling him you should right. do these things. But thankfully they didn't buy a whole lot of that. And <laughs> yeah, great. I mean, it worked out for us and worked out for Biden and glad he didn't win, but it was just such an, such a layup for him. So really for for the right, for someone who's trying to win a primary right now, I understand the logic of saying DeSantis did it better than Trump. But it, again, that's not enough. They can't just say, oh, here's our strong, moderate conservative who is effective at governing. They can't just, that can't be the argument anymore for this this nope. version of the GOP. It has to be, well, I'm, a, I'm an anti-vaxxer. Wow, vaccines are killing people and 
They're just they're they're covering it up. And I'm going to have Fauci prosecuted and tried and the deep the state. deep state. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like <laughs> it's not enough to be good at governing. It's not enough to be solid on most of the issues. You have to somehow come up with a way to engage the crazy and get them to buy in. And are those two things mutually exclusive? I think they are. I don't yeah. think you can somehow pander to that side of the crazy and convince people that you're actually good at governing. There's just no way that I can see to, you know, to thread that needle and make that work. Well, and they, they love to complain about how online the left is and how, how much the party has moved to the extreme because we're listening to the, to the Antifa on Twitter and all this, but DeSantis is, is going out of his way to to yeah. win win the meme war here essentially when we really break it down and and explain it at its core it's yeah he he is trying to out trump trump on social media because that's what where this really goes and if that's what it takes to to win the primary and it still may not work because it's only one issue and it's it's not clear that he can do it on any others, but mm. like you said, it's it's not popular with anyone. Obviously, not any Democrats, but even most people that are moderates are going to look at this and say, "Well, vaccines are actually good, and you said so." And what in the hell are you doing? Exactly, he he ends up looking like a politician here. He doesn't end up looking like an outsider who's down to take on the system, which as much as. You know, that may or may not have been a manufactured image in Trump's case. It's definitely his image, the outsider who isn't beholden to the the usual old school politics. You come out and you're all for vaccines. And then a year later, you're against vaccines when you're trying to win political office. And, you know, Roger Stone's right here. This is your record. You need to run on it. And they will make him run on it. So speaking of running on it, Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro may have lost his reelection campaign but he's still a few weeks away from leaving office and handing over power to President-elect Lula da Silva. He doesn't seem like he wants to go ahead and do this. He hasn't gone full stop the steal as Trump did after his loss in 2020, but he's still hanging around and waiting to see what happens with the ongoing protests throughout the country. Bolsonaro supporters have blockaded highways, attacked police during riots. Some remain camped outside military barracks hoping for a coup to unfold. Latest thing for them was attacking police headquarters, national police headquarters in Brasilia, the the capital of Brazil. While Bolsonaro hasn't explicitly endorsed a military intervention in the country, he hasn't discouraged one either. Meanwhile, Trump world figures like Matthew Termond and Steve Bannon are encouraging Brazilians to keep fighting. Is this all talk or not? And what do you think the likely outcome is here? I still think it's pretty likely that the transition to Lula happens without incident, but it's not over till it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, and they seem to be doing this for a reason. They seem to keep going because they think they're going to have some sort of positive outcome. I think for the Bannon world, it's it's a win, even if Bolsonaro hands over power because they they get to keep pushing these talking points. They get to keep blaming the U.S. and CIA, the deep state, and and talk about how the communists are coming to power in Brazil. And well, Biden essentially congratulated Lula after he won, 
heaven forbid. So right. they're going to frame that as some kind of endorsement of communism because they're kind of framing everything that is on the left these days as communist. It's no longer socialist. It's now full-on communism, apparently. But I think at this point, Matthew Tierman is is going on Bannon's show just about every day. And some of the recent clips that they did together, it's stuff like Brazil military prepares to protect constitution. Biden regime jumps in to help criminal Lula. <laughs> and Regime, yes. Yes, the regime. It's always the regime. It is. A couple of days ago, it was Matthew Tierman Brazil on cliff's edge of kinetic civil war. So they're, they're really trying to will it forward. And I think they'd be more than happy if there's a military coup that keeps Bolsonaro in power because Tierman has traveled to Brazil multiple times. He's met with Bolsonaro and his sons with Jason Miller and other Trump advisors. So we know that Bolsonaro's sons have, have been, to the U.S. quite a bit. So there's been a lot of back and forth. And I think Eduardo Bolsonaro, one of Jared Bolsonaro's sons, was, did you say he was in D.C. on January 6th? Yes, he actually was in D.C. on January 6th. He is, let's see here, the Brazilian connection to January 6th. This is from Brazilian Report. He got to D.C. on January 6th, or January 4th, excuse me, and was there till January 11th. And the Brazilian foreign ministry had no idea he was doing this. So huh. he posted selfies with Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, Matt Schlapp, and Daniel Schneider while he was there. And on the eve of the invasion, he met my pillow CEO, Mike Lindell. And on a social media live stream on January 6th, Mike Lindell explained the plan to, quote, set up a committee that would give 10 days where we could give the evidence of election fraud. The whole world is watching. I met with Brazil last night, the president of Brazil's son. So that's interesting. That's that's really yeah. interesting that the son of President Bolsonaro, who has been his emissary to the greater illiberal right-wing movement, as Steve Bannon calls it, is in D.C. on January 6th, taking notes, if nothing else, on what was going on there. And now his dad's in a similar situation, lost an election, getting ready to go, and they're trying to make the decision on how much they're going to fight this. And yeah, that, that one kind of jumped out at me when I saw it. It was very interesting. Yeah, what did what did he know and when did he know it, right? Right, but then, exactly. Th then you see Bannon and Tierman and even Ale Alexander, one of the, well, the the name behind Stop This Deal 2020 is he's been pushing these Bolsonaro talking points about a stolen election in Brazil right along with them. So mm -hmm. it's, they're, they're bouncing back and forth and doing each other favors, but it's pretty consistent. And it is interesting just looking at how Jair Bolsonaro has handled this because he waited a couple days until after the election was over and he had lost and everyone was waiting to see, is he going to concede? Is he going to not concede? And he didn't really concede. He didn't, no. he didn't like he didn't go all in on, oh, it's stolen and go rise up. But he didn't he didn't say I lost. No, he did not. And then he had a very short cryptic message 
and then he left and then his advisor came on and said oh we're gonna cooperate and oh we're we're gonna help lula transition and and do everything that he needs to do which was kind of taken by the media as it's a concession or it maybe it's the best we could hope for at least he's not calling for violent insurrection but He's he's just left enough room, and there have been blockades of of highways. There have been just a couple days ago. There were these these riots where police were attacked because the police are trying to maintain order. And I, I've seen the videos of honestly, it looks like hundreds of people in some cases. Uh, oh, there's thousands are, in some cases. It's these yeah. protests are huge. They're right about that. And they're they're camped out by these military bases essentially begging them to intervene because if anything if anything is going to happen if anything is going to occur it's going to be because the military decides to do it and the military loves bolsonaro he's a former military man officer himself so it's not it's not all that surprising that they're behind him and granted to this point they have mostly knocked down any attempts to push back on this or to really lend any credibility to, to Bolsonaro's kind of half-hearted right, attempts. Right. But they're still they're still hanging around, and these people are still there. And I think it was on, got this quote from Reuters. It said, they said, Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro broke his silence on Friday for the first time since his election defeat on October 30th. Bolsonaro said he had kept silent for almost 40 days, adding, quote, it hurts my soul. He then added, who decides where I go are you? Who decides which way the armed forces go are you? And he he said this at the gates of the presidential palace. And I I did see the the video and I don't speak Portuguese, but you could you could hear kind of the the begging and the pleading and the wailing and whether it's real or not, these people plenty of them really are desperate for oh, yeah. a military coup. No, no, they are they are very upset over this down there right now. Bolsonaro supporters are 100% upset, and they would really love the military to get involved in this. And I'm sure it's going to get worse because I just saw this, um, the Associated Press, um, Brazil's federal police on Thursday began serving dozens of search warrants targeting supporters of Bolsonaro for blocking highways after his election loss. This operation was actually ordered by Supreme Court Justice Alexandre de Moraes, who also presides over the nation's electoral authority. He's become sort of the big bad in their methodology yep. down there. And he's responsible for two investigations into Bolsonaro supporters regarding allegedly anti-democratic acts and the spread of fake news on social media relating to the election. The Supreme Court said in a statement that the investigation related to the 81 search warrants is proceeding under seal. The police said warrants are being served in seven states in the federal district. And separately, federal police officers carried out 23 searches and at least four preventative detentions in Espirito Santo state related to electoral fake news. So the crackdown seems to have started in earnest on the supporters. So we'll see where that ends up going. Because the guy, the justice of the Supreme Court of Brazil that ordered this, has become a big villain in this mythology that they're building. He is being called a communist. He is being painted as the big enemy of democracy in in Brazil. He is being painted as a tool of the communists and of Lula and a partisan. And 
Today, he orders the detention and arrest of people who spread electoral fake news online. So if I had to predict, I would be willing to predict Matthew Termon's going to be on Steve Bannon real shortly, talking about how this is going to be what pushes the whole thing over the edge. Their supporters aren't going to be any more happy about this than they were yesterday. Let's put it that way. Yeah, they've been they've been going after the judges hard, and he has been a, a like you said, a, a big bad, a main character for them. It's it's come up on Bannon's show. It's come up on Twitter. I know there've even been some Brazilians who have tagged in Elon Musk on Twitter, yeah, um, and and asked him to personally intervene in the suppression that's occurring of right wing voices by the Brazilian courts. So it certainly seems like they've they've painted a target on Alexandre's back, and there's plenty of vitriol at the justice system. But in particular, it's going his way, and he's approving these search warrants, and I I understand why they may have to act. I don't pretend to know all the, the details of every single thing that's going on, but to assume that there is no justification for these search warrants ignores quite a bit of anecdotal evidence on the ground and planning and mayhem and chaos and riots and disruptions and disorder and and bolsonaro isn't telling them to go do it but gosh i can't imagine how he could imply it or suggest it any other any more than the than the way he is unless he comes out and says go do these things so the people don't have to just hear what they want to hear they they know what he's saying and mm-hmm. it's really tense and we're going to have to wait and see what happens. It's still a few more weeks, but it is part of this sort of global illiberal order that that Bannon has been all about cultivating for years. And it seems like they're finally making some inroads. It seems like there's it's been really stop-start and Bannon went to Italy and then he came back and he he's tried to set up he tried to set up offices throughout Europe during Trump's presidency and no one really wanted anything to do with him and so it's it se- but it does seem like the Trump movement after after Trump left office especially they maybe they had a little little too much time on their hands but they really did kind of see the benefit to this and how they could all help each other and with this Brazilian election and the mirroring talking points and the traveling back and forth and advising and all of this, it, it seems like they, they found a common cause and a, and a way to, to help each other. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. There's, there's definitely some connections here between this movement as it were in the U S and then basically all over the world at this point, we actually saw that shifting gears a little bit at the gala that the New York Young Republican Club threw, um, the Bannon Sphere was out definitely in force for that. SPLC journalists Michael Hayden and Hannah Gase documented this pretty well. In addition to the right-wing domestic figures, something we found pretty notable was that the foreign contingent was there in their numbers as well. Hungary's ambassador to the United States was there, as well as the Austrian Freedom Party and the Alternative for Germany or the AFD. Some of these attendees are pretty vocally and obviously pro-Kremlin, 
Others could more accurately be called anti-democratic or, as is the case with Orban's Hungary, members of the illiberal order. So what exactly were all of these people doing at a Young Republican event in New York City? Yeah, you've got the head of the New York Young Republican Club, Gavin Wax, who back in November tweeted something that he then deleted about Bolsonaro needing to send in the tanks. Uh, You've got a, I believe he's a vice president, actually the guy who ended up escorting Gase and, and Michael Hayden out of the event was Vish Burra, who has also, he used to, I think, be a producer on Bannon's show. And he, okay, yeah, he's been pushing the Brazilian version of Stop the Steal. He went on Bannon's show to talk about the, the patriots of Brazil are completely indignant. And I've seen him amplifying some of the stuff that, that Matthew Tiermont has been doing on Twitter. So these are... There are quite a few of them who have waded into this Brazilian election, and, and obviously they're all pro-Bolsonaro. And it seemed like a big event for them to get together and and just celebrate their anti-democratic efforts. I think Matthew Tierman's quote that was included in the SBLC article is, is worth adding here. And he said, quote, this is an all-star room, and I urge all of you to meet everybody here and continue to spend time together, getting to know each other so we can fight the battle arm in arm. <sighs> yeah. And and that sort of rhetoric was echoed by Gavin Wax, who braced for total war in the streets, mm-hmm. um, according to his speech. He only meant the voting process and the electoral process, he said later. <laughs> That's, That's what he meant. Yes. Do you believe him? Of course. They're they, they just getting out in the street and knocking on doors. Exactly. Yeah. Knocking on uh-huh. doors in the street. That's it. Yeah, in the in the street. Uh, absolutely. I believe Absolutely. Him. <laughs> he looks honest. <laughs> Did this man lie to you? No, ab- absolutely not. Absolutely not. He, he wrote that 2018 piece titled, We Are All Proud Boys Now. So mm. it sounds he sounds like an honest broker to me. Absolutely. He was only talking about how, you know, the Proud Boys are all being discriminated against for their, you know, poor opinions and worse fashion sense. And we should be upset about that because it means they're coming for us next. You know, first they came for the Proud Boys and I did not speak up because (laughs) I don't buy Fred Perry stuff and I think it's ridiculous. But, yeah, that's that's where these people are at, basically. And now we've got this guy calling for total war in the streets. And I think it's pretty obvious what he means by that. But... Let's just read the full quote, because okay. I think it is Sounds worth fair. Yeah, yeah. Gavin Wax here, head of the New York Young Republican Club. We want to cross the Rubicon. We want total war. We must be prepared to do battle in every arena, in the media, in the courtroom, at the ballot box, and in the streets. This is the only language the left understands. The language of pure and unadulterated power. Well... <laughs> if my speaking tone there sounds a little fascist well it's, I, I can't read that without thinking of hitler and mussolini giving a speech it makes I, you want to go get like a haircut and <laughs> <laughs> well some of them clearly did before that event so yeah also looked good. i i didn't back i wasn't anyway. sure that some of them could look more fascist than they already did but they they managed to pull it off they did so, they did uh i don't want to say kudos but um well, uh, you, 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 
you got what you were going for with that. <laughs> there you go. Make there sure you, go. you tip That's... your your barber real well the next time you go, Poso, because they did a really wonderful job. <laughs> Looks great. Oh, yeah. there there was a point when I may have said, "Okay, we shouldn't call this fascism," or maybe we should, maybe we should see is this is this a precursor to fascism or. What are they really getting at here? Let's try to understand these people and what their grievances are. There have always been people in this movement who are fascist or are mm-hmm. totally fine with a fascist way of essentially gaining power and being in charge. But I don't know. It feels like they've radicalized their own movement or they've maybe just time and the echo chamber and the the sort of hive mind has has coalesced around this i think they're certainly more extreme than they used to be or at least they're more vocal about it yes yes i don't i I don't know how to argue against this being a fascist event filled with fascists who want to spread fascism everybody saw and heard the quote from marjorie taylor green about if steve bannon and i had organized the January 6th insurrection, it would have been successful. This is not the kind of thing that people who are concerned about whether other people view them as fascists go around saying. Well, and you didn't even include the part where she said we would have been armed. Oh, right. Right. She would have been yeah. armed. Yeah. Yeah. If we would have won and we, we would have been armed. Uh, totally MTG normal said. liberal democracy thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. What we need are more guns at the ballot box, uh-huh. I guess. But Absolutely. that's the only way we can stop the illegal evil democrat ballot harvesting that is uh, it's not our fault that our supporters are not voting by ballot <laughs> no no you should really actually tell them to kind of get with the times and yeah you can vote in some places early and you're more likely to win elections if you do so you might want to think about that if your state allows early voting I'm lucky. I live in Washington state. We mail everything in and we have two weeks before the election to do that. And as a result, things run pretty well for the most part. Sometimes it takes a while to count all of those ballots, but we get them in. Yeah. Did you, did you see the, the recent, I'm sorry, it was Charlie Kirk talking about people calling into the show and saying why they didn't vote. Oh, right. Cause they heard it from him not to do it. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. That was just absolutely amazing that it's like that stick in the spokes meme that you see all the time on the internet about darn Democrats and their ballot harvesting, all 2,000 of those mules that just stopped it. But in reality, these guys have been crapping all over the concept of early voting as long as people have been doing it. Talking about how, you know, it's anti-democratic, it's just not something anybody should do. Game day is when patriots vote among other things, and (laughs) this is where you wanted things to go, and me reaping, me sowing, basically. Yeah. Didn't work out for you guys. How much longer are you going to keep refusing to evolve on this one, Charlie? Oh, once more into the breach, it seems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they seem to be kind of moving away from traditional values. (laughs) I think that was one of the things, like, oh, we're, we're charting a new path forward and moving away from the old traditions and it's like well do you, do you mean voting <laughs> is one of the is one of the traditions you want to do away with well considering they were talking about showing up with weapons and being armed and making it work maybe they do maybe they do yeah and that's yeah they, i think it's i think it's fair to uh 
keep telling people that it was a fascist event. But when you look at some of the attendees here and the, the people that did show up, I was trying to think of how to frame this because a lot of times with these far-right figures, it's been very clear and overt and obvious that they are pro-Kremlin. Even if they're not Max Blumenthal in your face repeating, I guess, Russian foreign ministry press releases as the word of God, pro-Kremlin, they're still advancing the Kremlin agenda. And in a lot right, of cases, right. that was just true over the last decade or so. I think now when we start to look at this... There was absolutely a pro-Kremlin contingent. These right. these guys from the, the Austrian Freedom Party were at the event. One of them was Harald Velimsky, who, as part of the Austrian Freedom Party, traveled to Moscow in 2008 and signed a cooperation agreement with the United Russia Party. Ooh, fun. Yeah, which pretty, pretty obviously pro-Kremlin mm-hmm. right there. Uh, the pro-Kremlin party, as it were. So you had Harold Volemsky there, Austrian Freedom Party, but you also had another member of of that party, Gerald Gross, who I was looking at these guys and just trying to do a a brief background, and it wasn't always that easy to find it because some of it's in in German and some of it's just not, they're not all that well known in in some of these cases. But Gerald Gross went on RT Hmm. in July of this year, uh, and he he's posted it on his Twitter account. It was just it was just sitting right there. But he went on RT and said that the sanctions against Russia for their invasion of Ukraine just need to be lifted. We just need to get rid of those huh. on RT in July of this year. Can't imagine why they'd want to hear that. Shocker. Yeah, yeah. Can't imagine. He was he was at the event. He was with all these well youngish Republicans, uh, as it were. But um, <laughs> they were young when they started it, as someone said. <laughs> yeah. You, you also had Hungary's ambassador to the United States. And Hungary is another place that these guys really want to want to emulate. Viktor Orban and, as he calls it, his illiberal government are kind of a shining beacon for Trumpism. And, and I think some people have gotten it wrong with Orban and said that, oh, he copied Trump. And it actually was the other way around. Yeah. Orban, Orban's been doing this for over a decade. If anybody copied anybody, it was Trump copying him. But he has this semi-authoritarian state government that he's running. And it I, I use semi kind of hesitantly because it's less, less semi-authoritarian seemingly by the day. And it's not as obviously overtly pro-Russia, but they're not exactly standing with Ukraine, are they? No, they are not. Yeah. No. So they've, they have not been the helpful EU ally. And you also had some, some members at the New York Young Republican Club, some members of the uh, Alternative for Germany, AFD party were there. And I, and I saw that a couple of them, there was a, there was a resolution um, the EU Parliament put up at the end of November, and it was essentially to label Russia as a state sponsor of terror. And two of the guys who were at the event last weekend voted against labeling Russia as a state sponsor of terror, and they're members of the AFD. And who else was refusing to to endorse this resolution? Well, a bunch of 
members of Marine Le Pen's party in France. Uh-huh. The national rally now was the National Front. And, and we know in, in 2017, Marine Le Pen took money from the Russian state. Not just money. It looked like they ran an information op over there to help Marine Le Pen. Yeah, and who who was it that was involved in that? I think it was a fellow named Jack Posobiec. Is that correct? Yeah, was yeah, he? He, yeah, he, and he was also at this this event. You know, so how was he there? He was there. He was there. Uh, I, oh, he I took I, train eighty eight. No one would believe you <laughs> if you just said that. But train eighty eight to get there. I I believe I believe they were two featured speakers. It was Marjorie Taylor Greene, and who was the other one at this event? Jack Posobiec. Oh. The Macron leaks guy yeah. who, hmm, in a in a information op that was the result of hacked emails, Hack and leak. I believe it was the Russian. Hack. And which 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 government was it that that hacked that? Um, I don't remember, but I think they speak Russian. <laughs> it was Russian military intelligence, and WikiLeaks was involved too. WikiLeaks was there to verify mm-hmm. the the emails. Uh-huh. Um, as a very, the campaign didn't do anything. Macron won by quite a lot, and 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 Assange is a journalist, you see. <laughs> it was just them trying to do 2016 with Hillary's emails and the DNC and John Podesta all over again. But I think just looking at this event, you have all these American right wing MAGA extremists who were pushing the big lie and stop the steal. And you have these Austrian Freedom Party folks who are overtly, obviously pro-Kremlin. You have the AFD, Alternative for Germany, guys who, listen, the AFD has, their representatives have gone to Crimea to, after Putin illegally annexed the territory, they were there to serve as election observers. Ah. Yeah, they were they were certifying. A real bunch of Jimmy Carters, those guys are. Oh, yeah. You know, they were just making sure everything was as legitimate as can be and mm-hmm. just ignore the, the mass, the little green men that are that are uh, <laughs> at your at your polling stations. Or or if you're a member of the New York Young Republican Club, maybe pay attention and, and figure out what worked and ask for some advice. They're all watching each other and they're all taking notes. Some of this, I think it's it's just obviously pro Kremlin, but a lot of it. It's Brazil is all these guys are fine with Putin and and they're more than fine with Bolsonaro and a Bolsonaro win is not an obvious win for Putin. If we really look at Lula, Bolsonaro's opponent, Lula da Silva, he had plenty of policies that were fairly well, not even fairly. They were they were pro China and pro-Kremlin. And it's not immediately clear that a Bolsonaro win is any better. It may even be worse for the Kremlin. But for these these guys, these pro-Trump figures, it's all about illiberalism. It's all about power. And, and they want their guys in charge. And sometimes their guy is Putin. And sometimes it's Orban. And sometimes it's Bolsonaro. And they're they're all gearing up for one more run with Trump because I and I think Hayden I know has has gone on several interviews and talked about it's it was just a very pro Trump vibe here mm-hmm. very pro regardless of whether it's official or how close it actually is on some level these guys are all part of the same movement yeah they really are and 
I I wish we were exaggerating. Yeah, I wish it. Too. I I wish it wasn't a problem and and one that's getting worse. But I don't know. When you look at like with this Brazilian election, you've had right wing accounts tagging Elon Musk and saying, "Help us! We're being suppressed and our voices are being silenced." And he said he's looking into it. He said he's helping, huh. and he's the owner of Twitter. And right. he's, well, now the second richest man in the world. Wah, wah. You can't say that they're obviously losing. The internet age has, has changed the game and extremists are getting more extreme. Just because he's lost a lot of money and you can get a screaming deal on a used Tesla now because people don't want them in the same numbers, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are any less influential or have any less power than they did. In fact... Having the keys to Twitter, as he does now, allows him to dictate a lot of the narrative that a lot of journalists, a lot of the people that are at the tip of the spear of news gathering and news dissemination are using to write their stories. And if you have a guy like that on board with the growing illiberal movement, it's hard to see how this just doesn't end very badly at some point. And I think after Trump lost in 2020 and then after the midterms went poorly, at least some people wondered if the MAGA movement, these media figures are going to cool it down a little bit. If they're going to calm down, if they're going to rein it in, dial it back. But I think I haven't seen a more obvious example of them not doing this than Charlie Kirk and and Charlie Kirk and Steve Bannon collaborate quite a bit. Uh, Jack Posobiec works for Charlie Kirk at TPUSA and also goes on Bannon's show all the time. And this was a few days ago, and it's just the headline of Bannon's War Room. And it's Charlie Kirk explains, and here's what he explains. Uh, Those who betrayed others that swore oaths of loyalty had hell's harshest punishment reserved for them. Huh. I just don't think that's dialing it back. No, I, I, no. I, I don't think there's, uh, I think they've cut the brakes. How's that? Hell's harshest punishment. Wow. Hell's harshest punishment. I mean, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's yeah. language right there. <laughs> yeah. Dante and, and the Inferno mm. awaits all ye who, I guess, uh, are against us really mm. and and who's against us well we'll see i mean it, it sometimes it comes sometimes it's obvious and it's lula and the communists and sometimes it's a guy who used to work at twitter who now doesn't tow the party line the enemies will be pointed out and they will be targeted and they will be eliminated either silenced or maybe something worse well we're right here and we're gonna keep doing it Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can go to didnothingwrongpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word for, and the letter M, all one word, and Grizza, B-J-J, G-R-Z-A, B-J-J, as well as D-N-W pod. Thanks again for tuning in. And remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong. <laughs>